Welcome to the Portland Christian Center Podcast. This week, we'll hear from Pastor Rick Bernhassel on evangelism. Now here is Pastor Rick. Good morning, Portland Christian Center. How you doing? Yeah. So uh, hopefully you're awake today. Hopefully you're ready for uh, what God has in store for you. I, uh, I'm excited to preach this morning. I'm always excited to preach. I get excited when I preach, sorry. So uh, um, for those of you that uh, are new today, I just wanted to clarify something. When we say the King is alive, we're talking about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? We're talking about a God who came down from heaven, who became a little baby, who died for your sins, so you can be forgiven, set free, and he rose again in three days. We're gonna be celebrating Easter, and I'm excited about that. You excited about Easter? You excited about what's coming? God's doing some great things. Um, we're going to be in Acts 20 today, so if you want to get ready for that, you can. And uh, just wanted to welcome you here and welcome our people online that are watching. I know some people might be at home. They're like, you know, I wanted to get a jump on, uh, on the end of spring break, I guess. Jump in there and get some summer fun in. It, the weather is going to be nice today, so uh, I'll try not to be here for four hours. But uh, yeah. No promises. You never know when the spirit moves, you know, and it, and it won't matter anyway. So um, if you're visiting with us today, we've been on a series called Welcome Home and the five virtues of a healthy church. And I know Pastor Bill kicked that off with uh, worship looking upward. And if you remember that sermon, uh, Pastor Bill talked about it as worship is not about you. It's about glorifying God. That's what stuck with me out of that sermon. And you guys probably have notes and different things stuck with you. And then after that, a week later, uh, Dr. Klaus, he preached an amazing sermon on instruction and looking inward, right? And one of his comments that stuck with me was, when we read the Bible, the Bible reads us. And I don't know about you, but have you ever been reading the Bible and all of a sudden it just speaks to you in a way that it never has before? Maybe, maybe there's a, something that you've read over and over and over again, and all of a sudden you're going through a different season, a different time of your life, and all of a sudden it just speaks something new to you? That's because the Bible is alive and active, like Hebrews 4.12 tells us so. And then last week, Pastor Bill taught on fellowship, looking around. And of course, everybody remembers two fellows in a ship, right? So we all remember that comment. And uh, how when we're in close proximity together, we have to stay committed, connected, compassionate, and caring. And that's hard. That's hard because we're a family. We just spent a couple of days with our family. And sometimes when you're close together, sometimes family can cause you to grow. Gives you opportunities, right? Gives you opportunities. So... I love my family. We had a great time, actually. We did some surfing and did, anyway, that is every day. So, and then last, last week, I already said that next week, Pastor Bill's going to conclude the series with service looking forward. So today, I'm going to be talking about, and Pastor Paul and, and Pastor Heather already mentioned this, I'm going to be talking about evangelism, looking around, looking around. We want to know what we know, but we want to be able to spread the gospel in a way that compels people to Christ. So I'm gonna be talking about that today and I'm excited about it. So without further ado and without me just talking more, when you wanna stand with me, let's read the word. Acts 20, verse 20, verse 20 through 24. We're gonna read that together. Acts 20, verse 20 through 24 in the word of God. I never shrink back from telling you what you needed to hear. Remember that part. Either publicly or in your homes, I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God, of having faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit 
tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus Christ, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Father God, Lord, I just thank you for who you are, God. I thank you, God, that you're in our midst, Lord. I thank you that your spirit runs through this church, Lord, and through this body of believers, Lord. So God, I just pray that right now, Lord, that your spirit would go forth, Lord, both here in person and online, Lord, and would touch lives, would change people. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. One of the things I always endeavor to do, and I don't always hit the mark, obviously, but whenever I, whenever I stand in front of a group of people, whether it's two or 20 or 200 or whatever the number is, you know what? I always want to encourage, I always want to inspire, and I always want to challenge. So that's my goal today, and hopefully by the end of today, you've, there's something that's said that encourages you, something that inspires you, and something that challenges you. And as a preacher of the gospel, one of the things that's, that's tough to do that all of you know, because if you were in our, if you, not all of you were in our serve rally, but some of you were in our serve rally, Pastor James was talking about we're a priesthood of believers. But when you are trying to get somebody, you're trying to reach somebody for Christ, you have to challenge them because they don't know Jesus. But you have to do it in a way that pushes them just hard enough to want to change, but not so hard that they want to go away. And that's the same thing with preaching. When you're reaching out to, to body of believers, we want to challenge hard enough to push people far enough to want to change, but not so hard that they want to walk away. And sometimes we push too hard, and sometimes we don't push enough, right? And so then we have these discussions amongst the pastors like, oh, okay, maybe we coddled a little bit too much, we enabled, and then sometimes we push a little too hard, and like, okay, we probably need to pull it back a little bit. But you know, every time we want to encourage, inspire, and challenge. So that's my goal today. So put your mind frame on for that, and if you're not encouraged, inspired, or challenged, say, then you know what? Keep praying for me because I need it, all right? That's your goal. So uh, here's the thing, verse 20. I never shrink back from telling you what you needed to hear. Now look at your neighbor and say, don't shrink back. Look at your other neighbor and say, don't shrink back. Don't shrink back. That is an awesome part. And I know there are some people out there that are bold in their faith and you don't shrink back. And we're gonna talk about that a little bit because maybe you should. And then there's others out there that, you know what, you're a little more timid and you're always like waiting for the right opportunity and it never seems to come. And then you second guess yourself and like, oh, that was it and I missed it. And you're not so, you shrink back a little bit. So we wanna, we wanna pull back the reins on some and we wanna encourage and push the others along a little bit. So that's what we're here for. Here's the thing that I want you to hear though, friends. What Paul said, I never shrink back from telling you like it is. No, that's not what he said. No, I never shrink back from telling you what I wanted to say. That's not what he said. No, I never shrink back from telling you what I thought you needed to hear. No, that is not what he says. What does he say? He says, no, he says, Paul says this, I never shrink back from telling you what? What you needed to hear. Not what I wanted to say, not what I thought you wanted to hear, not to tell it like it is, just to leave it on the line and hope that you can recover from the mess that I left you in, but what you needed to hear. And so how do we know what we need to hear? He already tells us that. He goes on and he talks about the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk about that a little bit as well. We need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit to hear what they need to hear. At this point in his life, Paul is near the end of his third missionary journey. If you don't know that, this is, this is what's going on. And he's getting ready to go to Jerusalem. And he's here and he's suffered whips, slander, beatings, jail. And in some circumstances, he just says, they did me great harm. 
And I don't know what that means, but I know sometimes I've done great harm, and I know sometimes great harm has been done to me, and it doesn't feel good, whether that's emotional, spiritual, or physical. But Paul says that. So he comes back to this, and he says the challenge for all of us is, is that we need to rely on the Holy Spirit so we can tell others what they need to hear to come to Christ. Before we go into that a little bit, I want to give some context because one of the things that we need to do sometimes is convince people that what we need to do is what we need to do. Like, well, why do we need to do this? Why does it matter? I'm going to give you some, a little bit of stats really fast and hopefully it doesn't bore everybody in the world. But here we go. Worldwide, the percentage of Christianity has not changed in the last 120 years. It has not changed. The number of Christians on the planet hasn't changed in the last 120 years. It's about the same percentage-wise. However, the shift is remarkable. The shift has gone from the global north to the global south. And what does that mean? It means that the countries in the north part of, this, of the world have gotten less and less Christians, and the, and the countries in the southern part of the world have gotten more and more Christian. Here's what the stats tell us, that in Europe, Europe had the most Christians in 2010. By 2014, Latin America had surpassed Europe to have the most Christians on the planet. And then in 2018, Africa became the continent with the most Christians. By 2020, statistics show that Africa shifted from 9% to 49% Christians and a large 95% of the Congo. Yes, that is remarkable. You can say yes, wow. You can like, give God a hand for that, right? But I'm not here to talk about missions. I'm here to talk about evangelism. You notice one of the things, and they are one and the same, but evangelism might be like your neighbor, whereas missions is what happens on the other side of the world. I know this, if God can do that there, he can do that here. Notice I never mentioned North America nor the United States. Why? Because Christianity has been on the decline in our backyard. Christianity has been on the decline with our neighbors across the street. Christianity has been on the decline as we pass the baton to the next generation in this country. That is what has happened. And some of you are like bored to death because I gave you statistics, and some of you are like, wow, that's encouraging. Welcome to Portland Christian Center where I want to encourage you, inspire you, and challenge you, right? <laughs> so why do I tell you that? I don't know about you, but I'm tired of being in a country that falls short. I'm tired of being in a country where our next generation grows up and doesn't know God. I'm tired of being in a country that says that, you know what, we're going to become less Christian and we're going to become more like the world. We need to be in the world but not of the world. That's what the Bible tells us to do. So why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this to hopefully stir up in your spirit that if you're a body of believers here this morning, that you will realize that evangelism in this country has fallen backwards while it's advanced in other countries. And I tell you this, it's not the message and it's not the hope of Christ that is failing. I will tell you this, it's the deliverers. It's us. We used to say this at my other companies, like we found the problem, it's us. <laughs> it's like an inspiring way of saying we need to change. We need to do something different. We need to realize that in this country, what we've been doing has not been effective because we've gone backwards. Now I will tell you that immigration and Pentecostal churches, if you do your research, will tell you that that has helped stave off part of the problem in this country. That we have actually not, we would actually be less Christian now if it had not been for immigration and Pentecostal churches. Those two things have helped us not fall quite as fast. So there's something to be said there. 
We're not listening to the Holy Spirit on what others need to hear. I would say that for the vast majority of Christianity in this nation, whether it's our politics or the people who are on the news or people on social media, and you know, maybe, maybe not people individual in the, in the pew here, but maybe you've been a part of that a time or two yourself. We have not been doing what people need to hear. We've been doing what they, we think they need to hear or what we want to say. And that is something, friends, that we have to shift. That is something that we have to change, and it's not easy. It's not easy to look inward and say, what do I need to do? Holy Spirit, work in me to do different. Holy Spirit, work in me to reach the lost. Holy Spirit, work in me to get people to come to Christ. So that's the encouraging part and maybe the challenge at the same time. You're like, when are you going to get the inspiring part? Man, you're, like, you're depressing. All right. Paul says this stuff. So here's my first point in all this. So I'm going to look at Acts 20, verse 21. I never shrink back from telling you what you need to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I have one message for Jews and Greeks alike. The necessity of penting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus. Notice that he makes the comment publicly or in your homes. He makes this comment, I think, because he says, you know what, I'm going to do things. And if you know Paul, when you read through his other scriptures, he says, you know what, I become all things to all people so that I might save some. That means that sometimes I might want to be a little bit more, more boisterous and I may need to calm down. There might be other times where I feel like I need to be a little bit silent and be a little bit more reserved and let my life just speak to people around me. And I might need to speak up. There might be times when I just need to be all things to all people. So when I go somewhere and if, there, if there's something that might offend them in their home, if I go there and I'm not a big fan of certain kinds of foods, I just suck it up and eat the food that's in front of me anyways. Why? So that I might save some. Because it really doesn't matter. And I guess unless you're allergic or something like that, then you're like, hey, I'm allergic, you know. <laughs> I might go into anaphylactic shock if I do this, so can you save me? That's not a good way to witness. But, you know, you, other than that, if it's just something you don't like, so what, are you, what am I saying? Let your preferences die. We just sang a song that said, Jesus, you know what? If you died on the cross, let me be crucified with you. But we don't want to give up something that's simple to us. It's just a simple preference. And I use food as an example when you're in somebody's house, and I could use a whole bunch of other examples right now that might even offend some of you, so I won't. I'll let you pray with the Holy Spirit about what that might be. So the first thing is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Let's be steadfast, not stubborn. So what's the difference? If you know me, you know I'm stubborn. So my wife will say amen to that. She's like, amen, yeah, <laughs> Colby. <laughs> yes, all right. Steadfast in one message. That is what Paul said. I have one message for Jews and Greeks alike. One message. And he goes on further to say what that message is. We'll get there. But let's be flexible in our methods. This can be confusing. It can be confusing to the best of us, even like Moses. And I want to use Moses as an example because I think this is probably our biggest challenge. So I'm going to spend the most time on this first point. Steadfast versus stubborn. Because sometimes we know we don't want to be like the Bible says, we don't want to just sway in the breeze with the world. We want to be steadfast. But sometimes we're so stubborn in our methods that we confuse that with the steadfastness of the word. Culture has changed. I can tell you this, our idea of church, 
our idea of these things has shifted, not only in our lifetime, but our, this has shifted since Christ walked the earth. So when people wanna argue about what church is like, it's like, well, what is it like? I think it's shifted several times over the last 2,000 years. And if you go to another country and you actually do missional work, you're gonna find that it's different there than what we think it is here. So our idea of church isn't necessarily the idea. It is one idea, one way. So let's look at Exodus 17, Moses. In Deuteronomy 34, for those that don't know, Moses, this is what Moses was. There was there's never been another prophet in Israel like Moses. Deuteronomy 34, 10 through 12. When the Lord knew him face to face, the Lord sent him to perform all miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants in his entire land. With mighty power, Moses performed terrifying acts in the sight of all of Israel. Now Moses, if you don't know, for those that may not know, he was a little baby, shipped off down the river, saved by Pharaoh, raised in Pharaoh's king, pretty much killed another Egyptian, fled for like 40 years, comes back, says, let my people go. Maybe you've seen the prince of Egypt, right? So he performs all these miracles, the, the 10 plagues, right? And he's like, let my people go, let my people go. And then he runs off into the wilderness with them for 40 years, wandering around, trying to teach them things, trying to show them things. He goes up on Mount Sinai. God comes before him, gives him the 10 commandments, right? You guys, for those that don't know, really quick. And then he comes down, he's like, what are you guys making this golden calf for? We're gonna destroy this. No, get right with God. So Moses did a bunch of things, parted the Red Sea, brought water from a rock, did all these miraculous things. And that's what the Bible says is he did all these great things. But we know when we read in Hebrews, we know that Jesus surpassed Moses. So we have this great man of God that the Bible tells us about. But I'm going to show you some things here. So when we look at this, for those that don't know Moses, that's a quick like story of Moses. And there's a lot more to say about that. I don't have time for that. Exodus 17, verse 6. Here's what happens. Moses on his journey through the wilderness. This is like the first couple years, right? They're in, they're in, this, they're in uh, an area near Rephidim, and they were thirsty, and Israel's complaining, we're thirsty, we should go back to Egypt, right? Like the people were all complaining. Not, not like anybody here, but these people were complaining about things because they were thirsty, and the temperature wasn't right, and we weren't singing their songs, and we weren't, sorry, 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 sorry. Okay, sorry, I didn't say that. Okay. The judge orders you to strike that from the room. No, all right. Exodus 17, verse six. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. This is God talking to Moses. Strike the rock and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock, he was, as he was told, and water gushed out as the elders look on. Now this is a miraculous thing. Now fast forward to Deuteronomy, to Numbers 20, verse seven through 12. Now, I don't know when this is, at some point before the end of their journey and when they started their journey, the same similar thing happens. But in this situation, they're in the wilderness of Zin near Kadesh. In this situation, God commands Moses to speak to the rock. Now this is gonna be important. Numbers 20, verse seven through 12. And the Lord said to Moses, you and Aaron must take the staff the staff that God gave them, and assemble the entire community. As the people watch, speak to the rock over there, and it will pour out its waters. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. So Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come together at the rock. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff, and water gushed out, so the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough, 
to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I am giving them. There's a couple things going on here. First, I think it's really interesting that Moses refers to the people as rebels. He's like, listen, you rebellious people, I'm getting ready to be rebellious in front of you, so knock it off, right? And so it's like, it's kind of funny. Anyway, and then second, there's a lot of discussion around this rock and how it represents Jesus and the, the, our salvation and how he struck it once. And that's like Jesus dying for our sins and he is the rock of our salvation. So when he strikes it twice, it would be confusing because it's like this whole thing about how, well, God doesn't need to continually punish Jesus for our sin, it's redemption. I don't have time to go into all that, but if you want to study that, you can. It's, it's, it's fun and exciting. But anyways, what I notice here is we have a man. We have a man that hears from God. He obeys, and he strikes the rock, and water comes forth. Then he hears from God to speak to the rock, but he strikes it instead. And God honors that, and water still comes forth, but there's consequences. There's consequences. God tells Moses to take his staff. Water comes forth anyways. He chooses to disobey. Why? If you go back to Exodus 4, when God first stands before Moses and he's speaking to him, he's like, you know what? I want you to go and I want you to get my people and I want you to tell them. And Moses is like, whoa, 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 God, I can't speak very well. And God's like, okay, Moses, what, what is that in your hand? He's like, it's a staff. And he's like, take that staff and you're gonna go do miraculous signs and wonders. I think this staff was like his comfy blanket. Maybe it was his pacifier. It was his little pacifier that he needed to make himself feel comfortable. And we know that with this staff, he did great things. He spread it out over the sea and the, and the seas parted. We know that he threw it down and it turned into a snake and gobbled up other snakes, right? And he grabbed it back up and it turned back to his staff. We know that he did great things with this staff. And even at this point in his life, God's like, okay, go get your pacifier and go talk to the people, but I want you to speak to the rock. It's time to get off the binky. You don't need your staff anymore. Why? I think that this was a great example where Moses, a man of God, is being taught, you know what, it's not your method. It's not what makes you comfortable. It's not what makes you feel good. It's not what gives you goosebumps. It's going back to God, the Holy Spirit. It's going back to God and saying, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say so that they will hear the word of God? What do you want me to say so they will be compelled to Christ? Not what I'm used to, not what makes me comfortable, not what makes me feel good. What do you want me to do? And Moses takes his staff anyways, and God told him to use it, but not the way he used it before. I think God's looking at this and saying, change your method, Moses. Change your method, and Moses decided not to. Can I just say that Moses was steadfast to the word of God, but he was stubborn in his own method. It was a method blessed by God. It was a method that worked at one point. It was a method that God even told him to use at one point, but he didn't know when to let it go. And he held on it for too long. And God still blessed the method, but told him there's gonna be consequences. Why? Because you're relying on your method instead of relying on me. And I think in this moment, that was a powerful lesson for Moses, and I think it's a powerful lesson for the church here, and dare I say, across the United States. Because why? Because we are losing ground here.
in our own backyard. And we've relied on a method way too long that on the whole has been ineffective. And if we can't accept that, then I'll just say we're doomed to continue to decline. And I would say there's a God in heaven who says, I blessed that method once, but you need to let go of that method. You need to let go of that method. You need to go of whatever is near and dear to you. And I'm gonna ask you to lay it on the cross. I'm gonna ask you to lay it on the cross. And maybe like Moses, it might be a method that we're not comfortable with, that we don't even like, because Moses didn't want to speak. He told God that from the very beginning. It wasn't his comfort zone. His comfort zone was to serve and was to act. And God said, no, I want you to go and I want you to speak. What's your method? What's your method that maybe God has blessed at one point and maybe God told you to use and now he's asking you to lay it down for the sake of the cross? Be steadfast in the word. Be steadfast in faith. Be steadfast in trust. But let's not be stubborn in our methods. Let's lean into God. Let's get outside of our comfort zone and let's realize that it's not about us it's about him and reaching the lost. I firmly believe that the, the number one mission of the church is to reach the lost and equip the saints. And if we're not doing that, then what are we doing? We're not here to make ourselves feel comfortable. We're here to reach the lost. There are lost, lonely, hurt people dying in our own backyard. And we turn an eye because we don't see them anymore. We turn an eye because our methods have taught us that, that maybe there's another way that they can get help if they want to. And that help is Christ. That help is our Savior. That help is knowing that there's a Savior in heaven who has something wonderful for them in spite of what we may think that they've been through and what we may think that they need to do and what we may think is best for them is not what they need to hear. It's what we think they want to hear or what we think they need to hear. Is God calling you to something new? Are you willing to let go of what you hold near and dear? Are you willing to go to the source, Christ, and ask him how to proceed? So this idea is this. We should rely on God, not stick to our ways, or even an old way that God once blessed. I don't know what God's speaking to you right now. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And you just let that soak in, and you pray to, your, to our God to say, God, reveal in me what is in me that needs to die? What is in me that I need to lay down for the sake of the cross, for the sake of the lost, for the sake of those who don't know you? Amen? Are you awake? Are you offended? Okay. Are you challenged? Okay. Thank you. Good. Some of you are like, I am offended. I'll call you later. Okay. Um, <laughs> you can email. No, I'm <laughs> Uh, my God is honoring a method. Maybe God is honoring a method, but maybe it has consequences. And maybe that consequence is the fact that we're losing a generation. We're losing a country. And I know that I'm on the winning team. I know I, have a, I serve a God that's a great big God. We have the best message that ever was, that ever is. And so for me, I know, I know sometimes, and I, I don't want to make it about a me or you or any of that. And that's the challenge in this is like, what do I need to do to be better? Because sometimes I look at this and say, you know what? If it's not working, then it must be the sender. 
It must be the messenger. So God, use me. Let me die to whatever I need to do. And at the same time, I need to know that it's not about me and that God's going to do what God's going to do in spite of how ineffective I am because he's a great big God. But we have a part in this. And that's the part that we have to own without patting ourselves on the back when things go well. And that is a struggle. Because then we own the method and then we want to pat ourselves on the back and glorify ourselves for how well we did because of what God's fruit that came out of what we've done. And God's like, okay. And then he reminds us, I used a donkey, Rick. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And some of you are like, yeah, you're it. No, don't use King James' name of a donkey. Don't call me that. Okay, so number two, a simple method of God relying on God instead of our methods. Number two, Compel versus repel. And this is a hard one. This is a hard one. Situational. Because I know what compels one person will repel another. I know what compels you to do one thing will repel somebody else to do another. And that is why we have to rely on the Holy Spirit for God to download into us what they need to hear. And some people have a bigger platform than others and glory to them that they do a great job. Some people have a bigger platform and they very do a great job of compelling several people to Christ. But in doing that, they also repel some people which we need to reach. Some of us that don't have such a big platform. What I can tell you this is for me personally, even though I've been caught in this, I have never ever argued anybody into the kingdom. Has anybody here ever argued so hard that somebody just like, wow, you just, you're doing your, your, you made me mad in the beginning, but now I see where you're coming from. I'm coming to Jesus. Anyone? Anyone? Okay. No one. How many of you, though, if you dare to raise your hand, you know, this is, you know, you don't have to. How many of you have ever been caught in an argument, though, thinking that it's going to work? Yeah? Yeah, some of you are like, I'm not raising my hand. Yeah, okay. And those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're probably liars. But here's the truth is, the matter is, uh, <laughs> we all get caught in it. We get sucked into it. Sometimes on social media, sometimes with our family, sometimes with our friends. We get, we sometimes, you know, the bait of Satan is out there. And I'm not just talking about the book of offense. I'm talking about just those things that just suck us in to these arguments that we think we need to take a stand and we need to speak the truth. We used to call that apologetics back in the day. And still there's a good apologetics but we don't need to speak the truth in a way that pushes people away. And I'm afraid that's what we do most of the time. I know I've been sucked into several arguments and afterwards I just want to go, did I do more harm than good? Probably, probably. Because what we want to do, what we often get caught in, I think, is we want to compel and honor and appease the saints while we argue with the sinners. And I will tell you, when I read through Scripture, Jesus does just the opposite. He tells the saints to grow up. He calls them brood of vipers. He calls them snakes. He's actually pretty hard on some of the leaders, the church leaders. He's actually downright, like, just, like, straight in their face. It's like, grow up. You're a, you're a child of God. Don't act that way. And over here, he's like, it's okay. The woman at the well, what did he do? He said, who's going to cast the stone first? And then when everybody left, what does he say to her privately? He's like, knock it off. My words, not his words. Knock it off. He's like, go and sin no more. Right? That's what he tells her. He's like, you're better than that. You're called to a higher purpose. 
go and sin no more. He didn't do it publicly. He didn't rant with her on social media. He didn't throw her under the bus in front of everybody. They're getting ready to stone her. He's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. She's got several wives. You know what? We ought to throw a bunch. No, he's like, who has no sin first? You cast the first stone. And then when he's alone with her, he confronts her. We want to confront sinners publicly and hold the saints privately. And Jesus is like, you know what? We need to grow up. Sorry if that offends somebody. So, but yeah, work through it. Pray about it. Call me later. All right. So, First Peter three. <laughs> I'm sorry. I do love you. I don't mean that to be offensive. Seriously, I don't. So later we reflect back and we realize that the adversary got the best of me in several situations. I know he has. Probably even today. And and you know what? We move from compelling to repelling, and we move from sharing love to being frustrated. We move from a point where we're actually helping to where we're making things worse. And I don't think it helps. We move from showing mercy and grace to condemning the sinner. We move from understanding to being judgmental. And I don't know about you, but I do it so often that I just think, am I ever going to learn? And Jesus says, probably not. That's why I want you to keep coming to me and praying and asking the Holy Spirit, what do you need to say in that moment? And sometimes I go in like, this is what I need to say. And I feel like I need to say it. And I stop and I pray. And it's amazing the words that God will give you. I was with this young lady one time when I just felt like she just really needed to hear some of the stuff that she was doing that was kind of, it was just kind of nonsense, kind of knucklehead stuff. And you know what? And I just stopped and I prayed and I just looked at her. And all I said was Psalm 139 that says, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And I don't know why I needed to say that to her, but I just looked at her and I said, there's a God in heaven who loves you and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. She broke down. She was upset. I prayed with her. And I don't even know what I prayed with her about, but the Holy Spirit worked through me in that moment. And those are the moments that I remember. Those are the moments that we need to cling to. And those are the moments that mattered in her life. And to this day, we still talk we still have conversations. She still texts me every once in a while. Is she still struggling? Yes, but she knows that there's a God in heaven who loves her. There's a God in heaven who has something great and powerful for her. In spite of what she's been through or what she's done, that none of that matters. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. That is what the scripture says. And here's my biggest issue. Are you trying to be right? Or are you trying to be heard? And I know for me, that's when I get caught in arguments. When I'm trying to be right, instead of trying to be heard. And when we back up, we realize that the thing that people need to hear is the love of Christ. What God has done in my life matters more than what I think is right. Amen? John 16, 12, and this is powerful. This has been my verse for like this last year. There is much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. I know that God has been patient with me, and I know that when I was saved, I was saved, and I was set free, and I was delivered. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit fairly quickly, and I knew that God had set me free, and that he delivered me from several things. But I can tell you that I was a hot, flipping mess. And my wife knows this. And it took a while for me to progress. And some of you are like, you still are. And I'm like, you don't even know. 
You know, like, so you know, my wife will tell you that, like, you should have saw him before. People are like, do you have a filter? And I'm like, yes, this is filtered. So you know what? So God, God works through us, and we progress down this journey that God has us on. He takes us from things. And I know I'm not where I need to be, but I know I'm not where I was. And I know that the power of the Holy Spirit continues to work in me and through me to get me to the mark. So I know that I'm not done. I don't want to be complacent, but I'm also not going to be downtrodden because I know where I came from. And that this is progress. And God is working us on this journey together. And the problem that I have sometimes is I meet somebody who is maybe back here where I was. And I want them to be up here where I am. And they're not ready to hear it yet. And guess what? I'm not either. The Bible says in John 16, 12, there is much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. But the Holy Spirit will come and reveal that to you. But he's going to reveal it to you when you need it. Not when your neighbor thinks you need to hear it. When you need it. So sometimes, friends, we need to just let people just be saved. Be in their mess that we look at. We can say, well, yeah, but if they, but they don't need to hear it yet. They can't bear it yet. And it's not our place to try to fix them and clean them up to get them to where we think they need to be. In fact, there's some things that I know early on in my Christianity that God cleansed me from that some people in this room today are still fighting. And I was delivered like that. And there's some things for you that maybe God delivered you like that. And you see that in other people. But for them, it's a struggle. And it might take them 20 or 30 years. And we just need to pray for them. We need to come alongside them. We need to love them and say there's a God in heaven who's going to get you there. And you can't bear it yet. But if the power of the Holy Spirit reveals it to you and says, now is a time that they can bear it. Now is a time that they can handle it. Now is a time that they need to hear it. Then you speak to that to them, but not before then. Because you'll just compel them from Christ. But oftentimes we want to clean everybody up. We want them to know everything that they're doing wrong so they can come to Jesus. And Jesus says, that's not what it's about because the sinner on the cross had no time to clean anything up. And Jesus said, don't worry about it. Today you'll see me in paradise. I know my body, my actions, my mind well, in some situations, it took a long time for them to catch up. And I'm still working on it. He's still working in me. He's still working through me. And God's not done with me yet. And I think that if he were, we'd be like Enoch. And we'd like, be gone. Or like Elijah, maybe on a whirlwind to heaven, right? So I don't know. But we're still here. So God's still progressing. And I think that each of us have some things in our life that we struggle with. And God says, I have much more to share with you. And you can't bear it yet. You can't bear your arrogance. You can't bear your pride. You can't bear it yet. But you, one day you will. And God will work on you. And you'll have to decide, is now the moment that I go after that? Or do I just let it go? And third, and I'll be quick on this one. Unite versus fight. I don't need to touch on this too much. Pastor Bill did a great job last week on this portion. They overlap. So I just want to encourage you to go back and, and listen to his sermon last week. Unite versus fight. Here's what I do know for my military and those that don't know. Yes, I was in the Marines and we banter back and forth. We banter with Air Force and we make fun of each other. You know, I have an accountant and I harass him because he's in the Air Force. You know, we harass each other and we banter back and forth even amongst the branches, right? Sometimes the infantry will make fun of the tank guys, right? We just, but you know what? 
when it comes down to it, we have a common enemy, common purpose, and we band together. And I can tell you for the troops on the ground, there's nothing like the sound of close air support. When, you, when you're tired and you're worn out, there's nothing like going back to, back to base camp and finding cooks and a warm meal and a nice place, cold, warm place to sleep, right? There's nothing like having medics. There's nothing like having cooks. There's nothing like having pilots. There's nothing like having all of that support around you to help you because we're all brothers and sisters in arms. And I can tell you that when one of those pilots crashes, there's nothing like them when they land and they pull back their, their parachute and they look and see that there's a Marine or somebody on the ground that's a friendly standing in front of them. And they don't look at them and go, dang, I wish it would have known one of my Air Force boys to say, they don't care. So why am I telling you this? Because this unite versus fight, Pastor Bill talked about this last week, and I just want to broaden this to say we have brothers and sisters in arms. We are in a fight to save the world, to share the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we don't need to fight with our Baptist Catholic friends. I can tell you this, when we get to heaven, one of the things is not going to be what denomination were you? There's going to be a lot of things that you might think when you get to heaven that might be wrong. Here's what I know, that if your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, this is what Scripture tells me, that it doesn't really matter what you think. And there's going to be some things that I know I have my faith, I have my opinion, and I'm a Pentecostal preacher, that's why I'm here today, right? So you know what I think, I don't have to defend that. I believe what I believe. But I also know when we get to heaven, it's not going to be like, ooh, you were in that Christian denomination? I don't know. Because guess what? When we get to heaven, we send money across the street and around the world, and there's going to be people in China who are socialists that are going to be in heaven. And I don't even know if they know what a denomination is. There's going to be people in Africa who have no idea about anything about political opinions or anything about any denomination. All they know is they know Jesus. And they read the same Bible we do, and they don't really care what denomination we're in. They're like, I'm just a Christian. I'm trying to follow God. I'm trying to follow this Savior that you pointed me to. So what I'm saying is this. Let's not fight over all those things that continue to divide us. I think that as a Christian nation, if we would actually band together and quit fighting over the things, we even fight within our own denominations about things that just don't matter because why? They're not salvation issues. If it's not a salvation issue, let it go. Let it go. Be frozen, all right? Don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> now, I know that we have our opinions, and I'm okay with even, and I tell our young adults this all the time, like, you know what? I will debate this with you, but if you're going to get froth at the mouth and you're going to get all mad about it, I'll disengage. Why? Because I do not need to compel you from Christ, and I don't need division within the church body over something that I don't believe is a salvation issue. Now, it might mean more for you. It might be better for you, and I might have my opinions and my reasons for it, but I don't think we need to split the church and the body of believers over something that is not a salvation issue. What do you hang your hat on? That Jesus died for your sins, that he rose again. He's at the right hand of the Father. Why? To intercede for all of us, to write your names in the Lamb's Book of Life so you can be forgiven, set free, delivered from your drugs and addiction so that you can have eternal life. And all the other stuff is just extra and let's not fight over it. Let's not fight over the frosting on the cake. Why do missions overseas work so well? Because they're missionally focused to reach the lost. And we sit in our country and fight over denominational issues, interdenominational issues, 
selections of things that don't even matter. And I just want to say, friends, can we just repent? Ask God to forgive us. Band together as Christians to go out there. And when we leave this doors, reach the hurt, the lonely, and the lost. And leave all of our bickering, rock-striking methods behind. And say, God, please help us. Forgive us. Forgive us for the methods that we've hung on to. Forgive us for repelling people from Christ. Forgive us for fighting over things that just don't matter. And just in the end of the day, do not write names in the Lamb's Book of Life, but strike them out. We have some of the greatest evangelists in this country, and we want to badmouth them and slam them because they're not your style. Our mission reaching the lost, hurting, and lonely in this world. Not to raise up capitalists. Not to raise up people for our methods and our purpose. Church, I just want to challenge us that I think the reason why we have lost ground in this nation, in this city, is because we have lost focus. We are no longer missionally focused. We're preference and method focused. And that has caused disunity, that has caused division and has caused polarity across our nation. And no matter what you do, and no matter what you say, there's going to be somebody that doesn't like it, that doesn't agree with it. And if you're not passionate and angry about it and frustrated, then you don't have a voice. And I would just say all those voices just need to calm down, including my own. Romans 10, 9 through 10, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. It is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. The end. <laughs> the end. Mark 12, 30 and 31. Love God, love others. Acts 20 through 24. But my life is worth nothing, Paul said to me, unless I use it for the finishing the work assigned by me, to me, by the Lord Jesus. And by extension to Paul, I would say extension to us, Matthew 28, 19. And what is that mission? The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. The wonderful grace of God. Pointing people to Christ who can give them love, mercy, grace, and eternal salvation. Be steadfast. Be compelling. Be uniting. That is the mission of the church. That, my friends, I believe is what we are called to do. And that, I believe, is what we've gotten away from. I just want to say a practical step that you can take. I know that was a lot. I know hopefully you were encouraged, inspired, challenged, but not challenged too hard to where you're mad. And if you are, you can go to Jesus and pray about that before you come talk to me and tell me what I need to hear. There's somebody here, you've been struggling. And I know it's spring break and I know things are going on and things might be a little bit weird, but I just feel the power of the Holy Spirit saying there's somebody here right now that you've been struggling with this Savior. You've been struggling with this idea that the king is alive. 
You've been struggling with this idea that there's a God in heaven who loves you so much that can forgive you, that can set you free. There's a God in heaven who wants you. And right now you can feel that on your heart. You can, maybe your palms are sweating right now. And God is just reaching out and touching you and saying that he wants you to know his presence. He wants you in front of all these people to know that he loves you. And I don't know who you are. A practical step is to just pray the sinner's prayer. A practical step is to hang on to our salvation and not argue over these things. We have a worship night next Sunday night, April 3rd. We're gonna do prayer and worship. A good way to do that is invite a friend to that. Invite a friend into this community, into this relationship, into this body of believers, no matter how dysfunctional we are sometimes because we're a family, to say, you know what? Come and meet this Savior of ours. Come and meet this God in heaven who knows you, who loves you, who wants you. Come, be a part of us. Easter, a great way to invite somebody to come to the loving grace of Christ. Holy Spirit, will you help us focus on the mission instead of being distracted by our choice of methods? Will you go before us just as you are? Will you help us now? Help us to be steadfast, compelling, and uniting. Father God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing. Will you stand this morning? I went a little long and I apologize. Actually, no, I don't. I'm sorry. If you're here this morning and you don't know this Jesus and you want to know him, there's a simple prayer to ask God into your heart. And I just wanna ask all the saints to pray it too. And when you pray this, I'm gonna just want us to pray together. And whether this is your first time or your hundredth time, just really ask God to just reveal to you what needs to die in you, what needs to die in you. What are your preference and your methods is that you need to lay down on the cross? Can you do that this morning? Father God, thank you for who you are. God, I just ask you to just reach into our hearts and our minds, Lord Jesus, Lord. Show us what we need to change, what we need to lay down on the cross. Show us, God, what our methods are that we need to let go of, Lord, to reach others for Christ, Lord, so that we can compel people to reach you, Father God. Help us to be steadfast in the word, be steadfast in our faith, be steadfast in the truth, Lord, but not be stubborn, Lord. Help us to compel people to the loving Savior of Jesus Christ, Lord. And Father God, we just all pray together. Father, forgive me my sins. Help me to reach the lost. I ask you into my heart. Forgive me my sins. Set me free. Set me new. I give you my life and take the new life you give me. I lay it down at your feet. In Jesus' name. Thank you for new life. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you for delivering me. In Jesus' name, amen. Because we need a fresh wind, the fragrance of heaven. Pour your spirit out. Pour your spirit out. Lift that up. A holy anointing, the power of your presence. Pour your spirit out. Pour your spirit out. Say it again. Cause we need a fresh wind. The fragrance.
commanded to keep trying to press towards the mark to run our race. We need to identify the truth that sets you free. And for someone here today, you need to hear this. You are disciplined. Christ is greater than you than it is in the world. You are steadfast. You are compelling. You are uniting. And if you don't know that, you need to speak that truth into you because that is the word of God. You are innovative, blessed, driven because he dwells in you. You are not a hostage, your unhealthy thoughts. You declare what is true about you and Christ. The weapons you fight with are not of this world. You have divine power to demolish strongholds. 
You can take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Worry is not your master because you trust in God. Peace guards your heart, your minds, and your souls in Christ Jesus. You are not a slave to your habits. You are not a prisoner to an addiction. Your past does not define you. God has a plan for you, a purpose for you. God wants you. You are not a prisoner to those things. You have been ripped from the power of darkness. You have been set free and brought into the kingdom of God. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. You don't interpret God through your circumstances. You interpret your circumstances through the power of God. You are not anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your souls in Christ Jesus. There is a God in heaven who sent his son to die for you, and Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice. He was submissive even to the cross for your salvation. So know when you leave these walls, there's a great mission field out there that doesn't know the love of Christ. Go share the love of Christ. Go share his grace, his love, and his mercy. So now, may the Lord bless you, may he keep you, may his face shine upon you, may he bless you and give you peace as you go forth and tell others what they need to hear in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. God bless you, church. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Portland Christian Center podcast. If you'd like to hear more or learn more about us, visit our website at pcctoday.com or join us for our live streams at the 9 or 11 a.m. at live.pcctoday.com.